0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, Most Gracious, Ever a merciful. Good morning, welcome, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Kayum and uh, with me joining today is Brother Asim, and as always, connecting from outside of. <laughs> planet London, <laughs> his, brother, his, 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 brother, his brother Sharif. How are you, gentlemen, this morning? As-salamu alaykum, Peace be on you guys. Assalam alaykum. Wa alaikum Good. The the you know before we say anything, I'm looking out the window and the weather is, it's I don't know what's what's the weather in Planet, where you are, Sharif. <laughs> it, it's
1: absolutely amazing.
0: Is it? Is it? It's there, there's no great. rain.
1: Grey, cloudy, and rainy. I'll what see, more can I
0: ask for? See, <laughs> see, see—that's what I call patriotic. Being British, <laughs> 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 you know, love the, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, because it, it's so funny I say that because I had the same thought this morning. <laughs> on, on my way here, I thought, "Oh my God, it's raining," and it's not miserable because it's one of those things. I think everybody had been anticipating. With all the hose pipe band this and hose pipe band that and people thinking, well when you know it it's like we haven't seen rain for a while. Like this especially. Mm. The, yeah. you know the heavens have opened this morning. Absolutely. When I woke up I was like, Oh, absolutely nice weather. Yes, <laughs> it is it's so true. it's so, so so true but so sad. <laughs> <laughs> so what is uh, which uh, who who's got the weather? Anyone? Got the weather? What's 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 the outlook for today or or Sharif, ask him. Um,
1: well, t- today is a dull and wet start in the southeast, but bright and mostly dry uh, elsewhere.
0: That's good news for us. In,
1: yeah, in the afternoon, the rain in the southeast will clear, whereas <coughs> northwest will turn cloudier uh, with much showers.
0: And uh, what's the what's happening tonight? Is it or, sh- or shall we just wait till tonight? Because knowing. <laughs> That we're celebrating, <laughs> we're celebrating the British weather. It will probably ch- change um, from from what's predicted this morning. <laughs> it, exactly, it, it changes um, so often.
1: It does, it does. And tonight is a dry and mostly clear start for most, but cloudy with some spells of rain in the north, northern Ireland, southwestern Scotland, and northwestern England. A few showers moving into Wales by dawn
0: um for the, for the week ahead they're saying it's looking dry and settled for most um but there will be you know uh, similar hints of what we are experiencing this morning and uh, um i mean as much as it's 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 something we joke about but with the with the way the climate has changed over the past few months and the heat that this country has experienced um it is it is a welcome change this morning um, because things like host by bands and, and with all the other misery that we've spoken about over the few past couple of months that uh, this country has been suffering, um, you know, it, it uh, the, the you know the the heavens opening is a, is a blessing within itself. It kind of uh, eases the mind and cools the cools the earth down.
2: I'm actually embracing it with open hearts. You
0: know, <laughs> <laughs> I like that embracing it with open heart. Um, so let's let's see what's ha- what's happening in and around uh, the the you know what's what's the newspapers talking about today? I mean you know um, several front pages are featuring the prime minister mm-hmm. with President Zelensky. Mm-hmm. You know, same old, same old. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's all about. Um, <clears throat> I think his this is uh, the the prime minister's farewell to to his exit. Um, from from Premiership, because it's what in two weeks um, he will no longer be holding the 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 fort. Um, the Sun argues both the UK and uh, EU should stop giving tourist visas to Russians. Again, they're kind of upping the ante um, to to give that uh, support to Ukraine, and uh, a lot of people and a lot of uh, newspapers and especially Prime Minister has said that. It is uh, um, it, it is worth the pain of uh, of higher energy bills um, because we need to win the war in Ukraine, which I I actually find um, I think is a dangerous statement to make because we people in this country I mean the the energy crisis has actually only just started people haven't really mm. as much as people are feeling the pinch the the, the true. Um, effect of the energy crisis hasn't been felt as yet, and uh, to, <clears throat> to to keep on saying that we are suffering because of the war in Ukraine is actually is this I find it disingenuous hmm. because it's not the only reason because otherwise other countries in Europe mm-hmm. wouldn't be suffering like uh, France, but, like France hmm. you know we're, we're suffering. Uh, 100 over 100 200% in price increases yeah. France has got 4%. 4%, that's that's
2: ridiculous.
0: So so to to me my my concern is that people will start to get uh, Ukraine fatigue. They're going to get mm. tired of listening and, and because now it's impacting them um directly in their pockets in their in their cost of living in the way they live in the way they they kind of heat up warm up um, it, it's a, it will have a direct impact on the quality of their lives. What do you guys think?
1: I I completely agree. And Boris going on on Daily Express saying we must endure fuel bill pain to defeat uh, Putin is is a bit disingenuous, like you said, because Europe is not facing the same amount of bill because of the of the measures they took, and we we're, we're facing a soaring cost. And every week we're hearing that it's going up and up.
0: And especially since European countries are heavily reliant on Russia, uh, whereas UK isn't, yet they're able to still offer um, favourable terms to their citizens than United Kingdom. And, and I find that... Um, you know to me, that's why i um, um i I find it uh, that it's not it's it's uh, uh, you know blaming that the Ukraine war solely. I'm not saying it there isn't an impact. Of course, there's an impact. But to continuously say that we're we're you know we're we're suffering because of this war, it would is is not correct. um and and I find I think it will people people already are. people already are um um kind of diverted their attention away from 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 this 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 war um even though the newspapers in fact one looks at daily mirror they've actually made an appeal talking about how the nation is uh, um, the nation is is together um voicing uh freeze our bills now uh, i mean that's that's the front page um um ahead of friday's increase in uh, the energy price cap and the paper says plunging that the the, the pl- plunging millions more households into fuel poverty could have been avoided if there was a functioning government, and that's such a valid point that we currently a lot of people forget that because they're not willing to believe the fact that uh, the prime minister is a zombie is running a zombie government. They're not willing to make any decisions. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a show at the moment for the world um, because any times. Any time a decision is put forward, um, the question comes that it will be the incumbent uh, prime minister uh, who will be making any of the decisions. So it seems a bit bizarre that uh, in, in the 21st century, in the developed world, one of the top uh, economies in the world is, is, uh, is, is, is a limbo, zombie government or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we are non-operational. We are not open for business. That's the message that goes out.
2: Absolutely, and And if you look at uh, maybe BBC News, it says that British Gas donate ten percent of profits to help cut bills. Hmm. The Hmm. firm, which has seen huge profits this year, said thousands of households would be grants of two hundred and fifty to seven hundred fifty pounds. But of course, this is a fraction of the support needed to you know tackle the crisis nationally. So we can see they're making huge amounts of profits, but you know ten percent. Might make a difference for some, but not all. It, yeah. it, you
0: look, see these these little gimmicks kind of get they, they become fairly annoying because what they does is it clouds the message. It actually clouds and the the assistance that is out out there, a lot of people coming out with, we're going to give this, we're going to mm. give that. there's yeah. a lot of uh, there's a lot of lip service out there, be it from the government, um be it from companies, be it from individuals. It's 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 about action. That is what's needed, and that's. I mean, f- from my perspective, that's what seems to be lacking.
1: And and the Daily Mirror has got a very beautiful, um, well, uh, apt message on the eve of energy hike. The whole country speaks with one voice, mm. but still we are ignored. So I think this is what the message is at the moment: is the whole country is suffering, regardless of where you're from or what your um, your background is. Mm. The whole country is feeling the pinch where energy bills have gone up, your shopping bill has gone up. And, and this is
0: the beginning. It's important to say this is the it, beginning. Yeah. Because in October, prices go up and then in in January, they go up. So there's two yep. more, there's two more, um, um, you know, the, the, there's two more hikes to come yet. But I, I mean, um, and don't quote me on this. This is something I heard. Uh, is third, uh, you know, it's hearsay. Yes, but... Come January, we would be paying four times what we were paying a year ago on our energy prices, and we don't even know mm. if it's going to stop or not. Exactly, you know, exactly. Th- w- we're talking months, but we yeah. know um, a lot of people are there saying this is for the next eighteen months. Mm. This this pinch is going to be there, and prices are going to go up and up and up. And it's, and you know, as you, as uh, Brother Sharif, uh, you so rightly said, this this is not just energy prices. This is, you know. The, your 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 basic essentials, your bread, your eggs, your milk. The, your your basic necessities of everyday use are going up in you know twenty, thirty, forty percent. um and with the with the with the uh, supply chain broken, I mean the all the ports are on strike as 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 I know it, I think they're on strike for two weeks. so or, or there's a strike coming up. or you know, I mean I'll check just to confirm, but I know that there's a strike in on the ports that uh, a lot, which is going to be affecting a lot of the supply that's becoming coming into the country i mean nobody's really talking about it but uh, mm. uh, y- you know that's going to have a knock on effect and the fact that we are so isolated from the world um doesn't help
1: and the thing is the the thing that worries me is the fallout of this um, we will not feel until the next or the next generation after that So, for example, um, The Independent goes by one of their headline articles to this morning is the UK faces mental health crisis. NHS leaders warn that the fallout from soaring bills to pile pressure on services this winter. So the mounting energy bill and food bills will create a huge mental health crisis this winter, putting further strain on the services and risking people's life um, chances. Mm. So... We we're seeing one end of it at the moment where we're beginning to feel the pinch We're beginning to struggle to make ends meet But the true fallout of it is not going to be felt for a few years to come Because we don't know what impact is going to have on the children the parents their mental health their physical health their ability to afford healthy food options holidays all these kind of things that that contributes to a healthy Society is going to be affected. Whether we can travel, whether we can afford to go on on a holiday to relax, all of these things that create a harmonious society will be affected in the years to come. And it's not something that we're going to see the end of anytime soon.
0: You know, you mentioned mental health. So when one talks of mental health and 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 uh, general medical conditions, of course, um, the NHS is the first thing is the first point of uh, of, of, of delivery to, to remedy all, all of these uh, uh, these concerns. And the Times uh, newspaper leads with NHS bosses are alarmed about Liz Truss's plan to divert $10 billion a year from the health service to social care. So it's like, um, you know, the, instead of providing new money, this is what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, lip service, no action, no new injections, but, oh, let's take it away from one and give it to another. So... It's like they're dividing departments. I mean, you know, the West is known and famous for um, for divisions because uh, you know divide and rule has always worked. But that also works, uh, you know, in within uh, within government departments where they're saying, um, you know, that uh, ten billion pounds from the NHS health service will will they will try and tackle that. Uh, by taking it uh, by applying it to the social welfare or social care sector which everybody knows has been a been a topic of concern for years where people are just uh, you know people are dying uh, and the care uh, sector from an employee perspective is is diminishing as day goes by and uh, with with the with, with the industry and this sector kind of run by um, caring immigrants uh, and uh, the the roots for immigrants being closed this industry is suffering more and more um, and uh, uh, you know taking money away from an important department such as health and putting it into care is not going to resolve the issue and this is the problem that our political system in this country and yes I'm talking about list truss and yes as conservative party uh, I say it's a zombie government because it is it is what you know it, it you know one needs to say exactly what is happening um um, but the things, uh, one of the reasons why I tend to feel as a personal opinion, again, that we don't have an effective opposition. The opposition have got their own issues. Um, we have nobody in this country who is getting up um, and, um, and saying, well, enough is enough. People are suffering. Um, and it seems to me, you know, a few days ago that um, somebody said, um, you know, we are imploding um, our, uh, you know, our political system, our business system, our media um, is um, is is allowing for this country to break. UK is broken. What, what's your what's your take on that, gentlemen? Compare it to, you know, some of the other nations around the world. What is it that we are offering to our people that uh, you know th- that we can kind of celebrate?
1: There isn't anything at the moment that I can think of because everything, wherever you look, whatever you read is doom and gloom. And you, you're absolutely right. And even the eye starts up today's paper with Labour's money trouble deepens. So we know that people are, um, the government is struggling on both sides. And this is where democracy kind of falls foul of their own system, because if we don't have an effective opposition, then the government is allowed to kind of go and do whatever they, um, they think is right without that checks and balances that the system has. And this is what we're seeing at the moment. We don't have an effective opposition. We have a government that in 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 uh, a dire strait in terms of trying to get a replacement and both sides are fighting to gain their power, confusing messages being sent by both um, candidate in terms of what should happen. I think the majority of people are as confused as it gets at the moment in terms of what's going to happen in the next few months and the next couple of years before the general election. And when the general election do come, then we we're not any wiser in terms of who we should be voting for because they're both as bad as each other at the moment.
0: Mm. I'll say what you take. <sighs> I don't really know what to say. That says a lot. Thank you. <laughs> that 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 sums up the condition of the British political system, Asim has said. It's, I don't know what to say, because he doesn't want to air his opinion on air. That's how bad it is. But yes, it's look. But what, what you know, we do joke about it because it, it's like um, the solutions are going to come from within us. I mean, I, I think you know this is where communities will be successful. Communities has always been successful. Um, pandemic was a perfect example, where you know, if you know, as much as the governments hark on about how they did this, they did that. It was actually the local people; it was it was the individuals, it was the communities mm. who got together and looked after each other. Mm. Um, it's, governments did what? Nothing, not from my perspective, anyway.
1: It's interesting that you say that, Kiyoom. Um My my parents are actually visiting us at the moment from Mauritius, and my dad lived here in um, in the sixties and seventies and eighties. So he went through those hard times that we saw back then. The high interest th- rate. Exactly, and one of the things that he said that kind of touched me was, he said that yes, we're going through these times, but the British people mm. are a resilient peop- group of people. They've been through really tough times in the past, and they've always come out of it better off. Mm. So, and he was comparing it to the time of uh, when Margaret Thatcher came into power, you know, with the mining um, strikes and everything that came on after that and all the um, high interest rate, inflation rate, um, lack of jobs and everything. And yet on the other side of it, Britain was better off. And this is kind of a lesson in, in history for us, because when we look back, we know that the British people are resilient and we've always been part out of it. It's the duration of it that we don't know at the moment
0: my fear sharif i mean your your parents make a valid and and uh, relevant point but what history also teaches us is the when when people um, when people start to suffering to a degree that it uh, it's just not bearable anymore then what mm-hmm. happened to margaret thatcher on her exit mm-hmm. by the poll tax the march the demonstrations which uh, yeah. you know, it, it I my concern is that people generations have changed. People are people are changed. It's uh, with with the restrictions that the government is putting on on people with the banning protests and 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 you know creating a very um, it, it seems like a state like federal state like society or trying. People are being gagged. People are being banned to do mm. things. My my concern and my fear is that, uh, and with all the strikes, if you think about it, a prof- when a profession like barristers are, are you know, no matter which um, sector you talk about, there's a strike mm-hmm. happening. So imagine if this, if these people were to get together and 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 uh, they got the public on their side, it would be a disaster for this government or any mm-hmm. government, not just this government, for any government. And it will, not be, um, it will not be a pretty sight because I can assure you, I remember the poll tax riots and the demonstrations and, and how effectively it toppled the government at that time. And, and, a lot, and, and there are a lot of things happening in social media at the moment that a lot of people aren't aware of. And, and it seems to me that uh, our political class is just so out of touch with the normal man at the moment that, uh, um, that they're going to be taken by surprise um, because they're too, either too scared to 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 deal with the real issues that are 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 uh, affecting the people out there, or they they, or, or or maybe I'm wrong, or they just don't care. It doesn't affect them.
2: You know what I see is that there are more strikes happening. Mm. So what I fear is that people are just one day are just gonna come out and be like,
0: it's gonna it's, it's gonna boil over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's my fear too, that uh, you know, and we're living in a society at the moment where social justice has always been kind of at the top mm-hmm. of the list of 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 especially a younger generation, and uh, and uh, you know it's uh, um, it's it's becoming difficult. I mean, I have friends who are who you know earning fifty thousand pound plus a year, mm-hmm. and they're suffering. Mm-hmm. And you'd think fifty thousand should be a decent income.
2: It, it sounds yeah. like a decent income. It's not.
0: It's, not. it's when really you, not when you're renting in London mm, these yeah, are they can't crazy. afford to buy even at fifty thousand they can't afford to buy and uh, they have to rent then if. it's it's they're finding it tough it's yeah. it's it's and, and to me that's the scary bit that if I know someone who's earning fifty k plus and is i'm not gonna say they're suffering, maybe I should change that but it's it's becoming difficult difficult yeah the national average wage is 32 or 30, mm-hmm. whereas in London, I think it's 33. Mm-hmm. And if that's what an average man is earning, then he's suffering. Then really. and, and then they really will be suffering. Yeah, exactly. Um, because if, if people earning 50K plus, then then it makes one think, wow, you know, people need to kind of put numbers on these on these problems mm. and challenges, and then they'll realize, wow,
2: I mean, they haven't got one problem. They've got so many problems they need to sort out.
0: Yeah. Well, look, you can't get a doctor's appointment. <laughs> yeah? You can't get a doctor's appointment. You can't find a carer who will come and, and care for your loved one. Mm-hmm. You can't travel anywhere because the tubes on strike. You can't buy the things you want to buy because there's a supply shortage. You can't turn your light on because there's an energy crisis. You can't heat up your house because there's an energy crisis. You can't travel around the world anymore because you are isolated. You you kind of can't afford to buy the things that yesterday you were able to buy because the cost of that item has gone up or that item has disappeared
2: because,
0: because it's not worth sending that item to this country anymore because yeah. there's too much red tape. Hmm. What well, I'm saying is... Or the ports are on strike. Or the ports are on strike. Yeah. Or you can't... Um, you, you can't take action against anyone because the courts are closed or courts are still clearing a backlog. And if you do want legal expert, barristers are on strike. Where does one, that, you know, if, if, you know, and, you know, if and God forbid somebody was to fall ill in your house, it will take 55 minutes minimum for an ambulance to turn up. 55 minutes, the average time for an ambulance to respond. What is going on if that is not broken? Don't know what is. It's, 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 you know, it, 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 the mind boggles, the mind boggles. And again, nothing to do with which party you belong to. They're all the same. It's, this is the thing. It's, we, and, and I, I sometimes wish, please, people, wake up. It isn't about which side of the floor in the houses of parliament that you are coming from mm. this is a we are in a crisis and we need and, are, and and people need to be writing to their MPs people need to be exercising their vote people need to be exercising their right and talking uh, to their to their representatives and saying this is not acceptable and again yes burberchief you're correct we are resilient people we are people based in community. We we will find a way, but while we find that a way, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to lose their lives, and lose their lives. Why? They didn't have enough energy to heat them up. You know, we there's they're preparing warm banks. Have you guys heard of a warm bank? Warm banks, no, no. You know, we right. have food banks. Yeah, yeah. Where people go, well, in London, they are preparing in winter for winter. Mm -hmm. They are preparing areas, communal areas where they will have heat and people will be able to come there for two to three hours in a day so they can get warmed. That's sad. That is the extent of the problem we are in in this country. And people. And again, politicians have their, their, you know, their responsibilities, but people need to wake up. You're listening to Breakfast Show with myself, Kiyoom, Brother Rasim and Brother Sharif. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to go on to our first topic of the morning, um, which is um, all about um, Sam Anushti and the attack on him and how um, in, under true Islam, any form of attack on anyone uh, um, is, is, con- is condemned. So do stay tuned. Go grab yourself a cup of coffee. Um, I'm kind of hungry now, so um, I love I like <laughs> a bit of toast, a bit, a bit of toast, avocado, you know, um, poached eggs. Uh, now you're making me chi- hungry. Now, you know, a bit of chili flakes <laughs> and, uh, you know, a runny, runny poached egg. So, you know, with that thought, do stay tuned. We'll be right back after a very short break.
2: Oh.
3: أشهد أن لا
0: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Gayum, uh, Brother Asim, and joining us from Mars is Brother Sharif. Um, first topic of the morning, it is. Um, all about um, the attack that recently happened, the unfortunate attack that happened um, on, on Salman Rushdie. And the topic is whether Salman Rushdie attack is condemned by Islam. So, Brother Asim, what is the gist of this story? Because um, yes, there seems absolutely. to be a lot of um, ridiculous opinions that are flying out there.
2: Mm-hmm. So, the gist of the story is that, you know, the controversial figure, Salman Rushdie, was recently attacked uh, violence on stage. Uh, the suspect appears to have been fulfilling a fatwa made against uh, Rushdin in 1989 following, you know, the publication of his book, The Satanic Verses. So we will explore the subject of fatwas and what the anti-Muslim community responds to anti-Islamic expressions and the correct way to respond.
0: Sharif, um, I mean, uh, let me ask both of you. You guys are of a younger generation. How How relevant how mu- how well do you know this this person
1: personally um other than knowing he wrote a book and that he recently got a um knighthood in the queen's um at, um new year's No, know queen's birth, queen's jubilee jubilee right yep, it One
0: was
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so other than that i'm not very um aware of it other than that he wrote the book The Satanic Verses um in nineteen eighty eight hmm. because it's something that we our generation has not been really privy to because it's kinda after our
0: it's a different era
1: childhood, it's a different era and and nowadays I was I was actually having this conversation with a few people when the attack happened and the reason this had so much attention is because of the the era that it was published a book had more weight than anything else in the time and it had a lot of attention and even with the Ayatollah's um, Fatwa that was raised against him. But nowadays when you look around with social media the anti-Islamic um, rhetoric and that's there it's 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 such in abundance that one kind of cannot um, turn on Twitter Facebook or Instagram without seeing something um, that comes up in in that sense, and if we were to kind of give attention to all of them, we would never end um, the day. So I think this is where the difference is from that book that was written in 1988, when to be fair I was only three years old back then, mm. and and now where we're seeing such a raft of those anti-Islamic uh, messages. Um, on, online.
0: You see, I, I remember it well. I remember BBC covering it. I remember the protests in Bradford, and I remember, you know, that I, I you know, I remember when this controversy started and <clears throat> when the, this fatwa, the so-called fatwa, was issued. Sorry, Queenie. I,
2: I haven't yet landed in 1988, so.
0: Okay. Are, are you are you are you, t- are, you t- are you trying to tell me my age? <laughs> Listen, old is gold. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, uh, old is gold with wisdom. You know, age and wisdom. You young generations, but I will not go into that. No, no
2: I was just talking about myself. Yes, yeah, no, 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 no. You weren't. No,
0: you weren't. You see, you, that was that was like uh, uh, you know, what, what's the, what's the, it was a backhand. It was a backhand. <laughs> Which is okay. I can
1: take it. I can take it. You've got you've got broad shoulders. Exactly.
0: Why, you're yeah. not dinosaurs like me. We 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 have resilience. Yeah. We know.
2: No. No. Honestly,
0: I was. That's it. Just don't talking. justify now. Now you now don't dig your grave on live radio. You're digging your grave. Stop digging. But okay. I remember. I remember these days. And you know the serious point of this was that some of the supposedly some of the extracts from this book. It's actually very offensive. It's an v- offensive book. I've got it. Read it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, it, it, it was a book that, uh, to, to me, it was, ag- again, it was one of those days where you think to yourself, well, um, uh, the reaction of a lot of the Muslim clerics was that, well, we're going to burn this book. And, of course, when people protested and, and you know, Sharif made a, such a valid point, Um mainstream media loves to kind of pick on the weak points of the of, of of any community and in those days it was the beginning of the reaction of what the Muslim community were doing especially a lot of these clerics who were getting together and burning these books the last books and yeah. you know the, the the I remember the newspaper was the last people who burned books was Nazis these were the headlines they were they were they used to coming out with and then they were showing the pictures of these clerics burning satanic verses and then because you know as I said, it's offensive book, but it's not offensive just to the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It's offensive to just about every single prophet there is going, mm. under the name of freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Again, how many times we've 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 uh, you know um, had so many programs, um, and His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, have spoken extensively on the responsibilities that come with freedom Mm. of speech. In fact, it was only on Friday drive time. um, We were I was I was having a discussion with one of our guests who's going to be coming on later on about the, the, you know, freedom of speech without boundaries is anarchy. Mm. Freedom is truly celebrated when it has boundaries, when Mm. it has parameters. If you take those parameters away, it's anarchy because mm. people can do what they want, when they want, how they want, which is, uh, to be honest, which is why we are living in a country where we just spoke earlier for half hour or so of why society and the country and the governments are broken. Because, they're, they're, you know, um, the they're, 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 they're taking either freedom away or they're taking parameters away um, in respect of what we can and who we can offend. Well, it's not their fault. They haven't been given any boundaries, you know. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. But when this happened, what surprisingly is that extracts from this book were printed in um, in the Gulf News a few months uh, prior to to this being book published and, and, and mm-hmm. distributed in this country. But, you know, I want to go and talk to a person who knows, um, you know, in detail about this topic we have with us where um, we have with us uh, brother Ashad Ahmadi, who is. Um, well versed in this topic as uh, and, uh, you know, he um, was national secretary for publications for the Muslim community for over 20 years. And his reaction to this book was the the reaction of what true Islam teaches, that he read a book which was offensive to Islam and he wrote a book in response. So let's go and talk to our guest um, of the morning. Good morning. Assalamualaikum, Peace be on you, brother. Ashid, and thank you for taking time out and coming on to uh, uh, The Breakfast Show.
3: Uh, <clears throat> As you know, I just came back uh, from an overseas trip last night, so I might might not be 100%, but I'll try
0: my best. Thank you for taking time out coming on to a no uh, um Could you please uh, tell us um, about the content of the book, Rushdie, um Haunted by His Unholy Ghosts?
3: Well, if you remember when this uh, episode happened, the Rushdie Affair back in 1988 uh, there was a, a lot of uh, uh, response from the general Muslims and uh, you know, the was issued etc etc and it wasn't until a few years later that uh, Khalifa Rabi the fourth successor of our community in his wisdom decided to give a late response after everything had subsided and um, said we should write a response and he assigned this task to me um, and we discussed it at length how to tackle the subject, which is a difficult one. Uh, We wanted to prove that uh, Rushdie was a a tool used by the media here, by the West um, and to give a bad name to to Islam, as is, their, as is their want for many, many centuries. Uh, so I was assigned this task, and uh, with prayers of Hazrat al Masih, Rabbi I started researching all the work that he had done prior to the Satanic Verses and subsequent to the Satanic Verses to get a brief ground of his uh, of his psyche, how he was coached into writing this offensive material. So it wasn't a pleasant experience reading the book, as you can imagine. He insults the Holy Prophet and his noble wives and the, his, uh, his khalifa. So this was a sign, that I went to the history of Islam and the West to see how these uh, actions had gathered uh, against Islam, and it came to fruition at the when the satanic uh, Rushdie was assigned this uh, this book to write. So, uh, you know, we, I
0: don't know if you read the book, but... Uh, yes, I, I uh, have. And that, uh, I'm, I'm interesting you say that, Rashad. That's the problem, isn't it? That at that time, especially, a lot of these clerics who came out and started burning this book hadn't even read it. And the kind of Western media picked up on this and used it against Islam.
3: See, that's exactly what they wanted, was to incite yeah. these... Uh, Muslims are easily inflamed and get the reaction that, that will sell newspapers and give news on the, on, on the social on media. And that's exactly the pain into their hands. But yeah. our response, as you know, with the wisdom of our Khulafa, is to stay back, don't give a knee jerk reaction. Always think about these things, before because we answer a, a written book with a written mm. response. Not by burning flags and giving fatwas which are contrary to the teachings of the Quran. And uh, so, uh, this was the. And so, uh, uh, Hazur wanted to try to give circumstantial evidence that he was put up to this mischief, which I've tried my best to do uh, with the historic. uh, uh, you know, articles in the paper. There was no uh, internet at those days, and I had to go to the library to get all the information. And uh, alhamdulillah, it, uh, it bore fruit in as regards our response was concerned, and it was appreciated by many. And uh, so that's how how it transpired.
2: That's great, Ashut. Uh, so my question is that, you know, the most impo- important question is that how would you encourage people to read this book? How would you, sorry? How would you encourage people to read this book?
0: Oh, the, the the book the book, book the the book you wrote. Okay. Not not oh no no not, not that book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a good
3: point. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, if you want to know the truth, uh, if, I've done all the research. I've done all the dirty work, as as it were, l- reading his book and his novels, uh, so you don't have to go through all that. I've given a synopsis of what he has written and how his, he was put up to this mischief. Uh, in fact, uh, if you know Harris Zuffer and uh, our other brother in uh, in, America, in America, yeah, uh, he wrote uh, a Muslim, uh, different kind of Muslim, the uh, name escapes me at the moment. He actually used reading my book to get some material for his own book. Because I think they got this uh, confidence in writing this type of response to uh, uh, to what actions are taken against our faith. So I would encourage anyone who wants to know the history of Islam in the West. uh, There are some good points as well. Don't take me wrong. You know, it's not uh, all doom and gloom. There is, uh, uh, you know, people like Prince Charles and there's other. journalists uh i think that at the time they wrote very good things about islam and defended islam so i think people should know the background Hello. and i think this is what would help them in discussing because he's always in the news he doesn't like to be left out of the news for too long as you know yeah uh, and so to, when, when we are you know approached by colleagues and friends then at least you should know the some background and that will help them to Allay their fears, why uh, Muslims reacted and how we reacted. There's a, there's a stark difference there is. in how we approach this, these sort of subjects, and this is our norm in other things, other issues as well.
0: Wonderful. should thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to the breakfast show this morning. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you. Asalaamu Alaikum.
3: Walaykum
0: Um, And Brother Urshad mentioned His Holiness, the fourth Caliph of the Promised Messiah. Hazrat Miztahir Ahmed may have mercy on his soul. We've got an audio clip um, where he is discussing this topic, so no better person than to listen to um, and and, uh, to get to see what His Holiness had to say. So let's go and listen to this audio.
4: Particularly a few years ago, but still today, is the response of the Muslim community to the author Salman Rushdie's book, Uh, the satanic verses and of course the fatwa that was issued against him. Uh, What I want to know in specific terms is do you support uh, the fatwa that was issued against uh, Salman Rushdie and in general terms, if you do, uh, to what extent do you think that violence or the threat of violence is justified uh,
5: against those who offend against your religion? But I think this
6: question is only directed in one direction. Well, the other direction should also be contained in this question as to the reaction of those who support Salman Rushdie's uh, behavior and conduct and who praise his work as an excellent piece of art praiseworthy piece of art so open this question and widen it otherwise it will be not fair For me to only answer you in one direction while the other direction is left unattended, this question has to be taken in totality. That's what I mean. The the issue of fatwa of others does not apply to me because I am the head of the MDA community so the question could have been better modulated if it said that what is the fatwa of Jamaat MDA in this. (laughs) You see? Mm I am speaking from the seat where fatwas are issued not followed because I am understood to be the leader of the Ahmadiyya community in the sense that I understand the Holy Quran and the Hadith etc better in most cases in some cases I may fall to agree, I am not above this but in most cases of all the living people today in Ahmadiyya. If I were not the person who would understand the Quranic teachings and the Hadith better than all, all other individuals, then I would not be fit for this occupation. Right? Sure. So you can inquire from me what is your fatwa? My fatwa is the one which I have repeatedly spoken of, but the British press boycotted my observations despite being present at the time when I spoke on this subject in detail and in depth. Immediately after the incident, I called a press conference which was heavily attended by the national press as well as by the local press from different parts of the country. And at the end of the conference, I told them, look here, we have spent two hours together, very pleasant atmosphere, everything but today you are not going to publish anything of what I have said. Tomorrow, I mean. Uh And some of them were genuinely amazed and some affectedly amazed. Why shouldn't we? I said, even if you should, your papers will not publish. Because you want to publish only that material which your people want from you. Excitement. Any answer which defends Islam and which presents the whole issue in a perspective where Islam be- appears to be a lovable religion will mm-hmm. not be acceptable to you because the people don't want such an answer. They want an answer which helps Khomeiniism to be highlighted. So if I had said whatever Khomeini had said, mm-hmm. you will publish the flesh, you know, the <laughs> headlines. The head of the Hamdiya community fully supports this, and every paper will cover. But because I have rejected his fatwa, and because I have explained according to, in in, in reference to the Holy Quran, that no man has a right to punish anybody for any blasphemy. You are not going to publish it, and it was not published. (laughs) The next day, as if no conference had taken place, because your press is like becoming like a mafia. It follows unwritten, undictated policies which the press thinks suit the the Western interests. If anything is published which brings Islam closer to the hearts of the Western people, then that publication would make that press as much unpopular. To that degree unpopular. Because that is not what is in the air we see. Today you want Islam to be kept at distance. Now maybe largely because Islam is presented to you by extremists today. But those extremists who present Islam they are never questioned as to the validity of their views on Islam. While this is the issue which should have to be brought to the focus of attention. Because it's a long answer and uh, I know all of you are extremely very intelligent people and educated, you will understand the points which are relevant and which are central to the issue. All discussions on Rushdie or other such things should fo- focus upon the teachings of the Holy Quran and their correct interpretation. That should be debatable. For many has a right to interpret the Quran and the Hadith in his own way, so have I. But it should have been publicly discussed with reference to the teachings, not with reference to the disposition of certain leaders not with reference to the political dictates of the Muslim country, but with reference to the religious dictates of Islam itself. So that is where they have gone remiss, everywhere. Low no questions were raised in this direction. Oh, all right, Mr. Khomeini, come on, bring your arguments based on the Holy Quran. And then any sensible person who has any knowledge of the Quran could have rebutted those arguments and stilled his voice. that was not done. On the other hand, attempts were made to further aggravate the situation of misunderstanding between the Christians and Islam and Muslims because this issue as I also mentioned during those that press conference, If looked at from a different point where the behaviour of the European public or the Western public is concerned or Western leadership is concerned, if you look at it from that point of view, you will be surprised to see that they are all supporting indecency, such indecency as they will never tolerate in their own parliaments. They will call it an unparliamentary language and chuck out the people who do not swallow that insult. So, openly, I mentioned Mrs. Thatcher, who was the Prime Minister at that time. I said, the issues involved are not just a total freedom. Issues involved are where you f- your freedom stops and our freedom begins issues are drawing a line between the f- spheres of freedom of people and you yourself accept the freedom of some people not to be hurt unnecessarily this is a common decency which is the fruit of civilization you employ this principle in your parliaments and I said if somebody stands up in the parliament and calls Mrs. Thatcher a whore. You know, a wretched, wanton lady. Would you tolerate it in the name of freedom? Impossible. The whole house would rise in protest against such a person. Either he swallows that insult himself or he'll be chucked out of the parliament. Now here we are speaking of a political leader of, a one, of one country. What about the religious leader who is held in the in much higher esteem? to that to which Mrs. Thatcher could ever be held. Why not people of one country? A billion people all over the world. And you do not show any decency towards that honour, the honour of such a man, such a leader. If your common language and common behaviour, this indecency is carried out Although there is no punishment you can mete out to such a person according to religion, at least you should distance distance yourself from this. At least you should condemn the indecencies contained in Salman Rushdie's book. Anybody who has read it would know right from the beginning he is out at insulting and through aspersions on the characters of all the near ones to Hazrat Muhammad, his wives, his, his companions, in the foulest language. See, which even hurts the sensibilities of modern people in relation to the modern things. And to abuse somebody who is dead and abuse a generation who are dead, who are held in such high esteem of holiness, by one-fifth of the total population of the world and for you to praise him and to award him when you support him, what does it indicate? It's deflective of your own internal distortions. There should have been voices raised in condemnation. If that had been done, the reaction of the Muslim world would be completely different. They would have begun to respect you they would, would have started coming closer to you and it would be they who would condemn Salman Rushdie now Khomeini what's this nonsense the decent people of the world have already punished this man but this is not what happened so the fault is on both the parties equally or unequally shared but the fault lies on both sides right
4: Yes. Thank and you me. think that Khomeini inflamed the situation?
0: Yes. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kium, And joining me is Brother Asim and uh, Brother <coughs> Sharif. Gentlemen, that um, question could not have been more comprehensively answered. <laughs> Then, then, how His Holiness <laughs> the fourth Caliph of the Promised Messiah may have mercy on his soul, as aramid. I mean, he covered every aspect of what is right and what's wrong with this equation, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, and even went into challenging the media. That's right. Over the fact that they will not be publishing what he said.
0: Yeah, and 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 proven to be true. You know that, that yeah. you know it wasn't just lip service; factual. That uh, and so and you know he so he he knew and he said it and he gave example of it that had he agreed with the fatwa that was issued, it would have been all over the news. <laughs> that mm. that uh, you know the the head of the Ahmadi Muslim community agrees and 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 you know there would have been all this hoo ha, whereas um, the fact that he openly disagreed um with with this fatah. in fact he said he's rejected it uh because there is no place for it in islam this this um th- these kind of um uh, these kind of actions uh, and and nobody covered it. It, it because it wasn't as you know it wasn't news it wasn't news uh, it's uh, you know it's um uh, uh, it's crazy it's crazy um um, Brother Sharif, you mentioned um, in, in the break because um, um, uh, we were we, we we kind of lost contact with you. You mentioned a few points with regards to when we were talking to Brother Arshad about the book he was mentioning. So just just uh, you know, if you could uh, let our listeners know what uh, what what that information we missed out on.
1: Yeah. So what I was saying was the um, Rushdie's, um Haunted by His Unholy Ghost, written by our guest earlier today, Ushad Amadi, is available from our website alislam.org and if if our listeners want to see it then i would highly recommend they do is just go onto alislam.org and search for Rushdie or any any anything with that combination and your first thing that will come up is the book that was written um by ashad amadi the second thing i wanted to mention was the book he mentioned by harry suffer is um demystifying islam tackling the tough questions where um, Mr. Zafra talks about um, what is Sharia law, how is a Muslim to understand Jihad, and does Islam op- oppose Western value, has free speech and religion, and he goes into a lot more detail. And this book is available on Amazon if anyone wants to go and and um, and purchase it for their own reading.
0: Brother Asim, what's your take on what's your what's your summing up we, when we were going to be going to. Uh, 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 another guest uh, on on um uh, you know on, on to finish off the topic um there, there was this mention of fatwas um mm-hmm. just briefly um fatwa is is the, the way um uh, you know the, these what's the word injunctions so basically <coughs> sorry a fatwa is a
2: legal ruling on on a point of you know islamic law given by let's say, you know, qualified jurist in response to, like, a question or, you know, posed by a private individual judge or government.
0: Okay, hold that thought. Do you know why? Because we have got with us a missionary. Amazing. On, online, who is a regular friend of the show. And uh, he will put some, ear some... Um, um, what's the word he will kind of put some substance into the argument and mm-hmm. uh, to what the question we were asking we have got with us uh, Imam Raza Ahmed who is um a um a regular on to um you know a regular presenter with us on the drive time show and he is a missionary um of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in the corridor area good morning welcome assalamu alaikum and peace be on you brother imam as good morning boys how are you how are you sir
7: alhamdulillah if Have you seen outside? I mean, it's raining. It's such such a gloomy weather, but you have no idea how happy that makes
0: me. Oh, you should. (laughs) You know why we laugh? That's that's exactly what we said at 7 (laughs) 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 a.m. That we have never been so happy about seeing such gloomy, rainy weather.
7: Does that
0: does that make us any more British? Tell me about it.
7: Oh, this this sound itself it makes me so happy. Oh my goodness. Oh, brother Raza,
0: you are not yeah. German anymore. You're British. <laughs> 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 i can assure you? You are not German. You are fully yeah. British. Oh
7: man! You, just, you just made me realize what I
0: said. <laughs> On to the topic of the morning. Um. Imam Razal, I mean, I I just asked uh, Brother Asim, could you just kind of expand on, you know, we we heard from, uh, we, we heard an audio from His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the promised Messiah. May Allah have mercy on him, but for the benefit of, uh, and, and he mentioned fatwas, but could you give a brief definition of a fatwa for the benefit of our listeners so they can understand, you know, w- yeah. how, you know, this is, because the, the reason it's important is because that's how everything started.
7: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a very valid and good question. Um fatwa basically it's it's a religious edict. So when um you have a certain specific problem or if if, if there's a question, let's let's say um it's it's anything related to Islamic jurisprudence, anything related to Islamic practice, anything to, related to to the religion of Islam. Now, fatwa is specifically um, yeah, you know, it's attached to the religion of Islam. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so let's say you have a question about um, what to do in uh, a certain situation, how to behave, and, and and what not, what to do and what not to do. So this is then presented to a to a to a religious cleric. Usually, they we call them muftis. So a mufti is someone who is aware of the Islamic jurisprudence, is aware of the Islamic rules and regulations. He then looks at the certain issues, etc., etc., et, cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. And then you come up with a, with a fatwa, meaning that this is how it's supposed to be. This is what has been decided after uh, long research or you know, looking at all of the different angles. And then it is issued to to the community and they have then to adhere by that rule or that decision in that specific case that we're talking about or you're talking about today on today's show yeah so when when the Khomeini the Ayatollah Khomeini who was the highest religious who is the highest religious authority in in, in Iran he basically issued a fatwa which was a you could call it a death warrant
0: mm. Yeah.
7: So whoever um, he, he declared him to be, to be, um, you know, someone who executes him, or someone who kills him, or someone who just, you know, he, he was him. declared
0: as eligible for a. Ki- to, he's eligible yes. for being killed.
7: Yes. Effectively, so I remember. I remember back, like in in the old in, in the medieval ages, there was a um, coming back to the. To the German issue. There's, there's, a, there's a sentence or there's a there's a phrase which means that you are eligible to be hunted down. Hmm. So I think the term is Vogelfrei uh, which means "free as a bird." Yeah. So you are free as a bird, and you anybody who gets a hand on you or who gets a hold of you, he can do as as he wishes. Finders keepers. Yeah. Finders keepers, basically. Yes.
0: <clears throat> now the fatwa that we are discussing has no bearing upon Islamic laws, does it? In a sense, I yeah. know we talked about Islamic law yeah. because that's the foundation of it. But there yeah. was nothing Islamic about this this order effectively that was issued, wasn't yeah. it?
7: Yeah. That that that's the funny part, isn't it? I mean you have a religious man talking about um Worldly punishment. Yeah, right. So I mean, even if you look at the lifetime of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, there's a difference in the sense that he was both. He was a religious leader. He was a prophet, but he was also a statesman. Mm. Now I'm not really well versed or aware of how um, these so-called Muslim countries run 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 things, Mm. but as far as that is concerned. There is no. Um, there was an exception for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which he didn't just use freely and wildly as we have today.
0: Now, you mentioned the Holy Prophet. So, the Holy Prophet in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he suffered a lot of abuse. He suffered a lot of uh, physical attacks. He suffered yeah. a, a lot of, uh, you know, wrongdoing. Hmm. So, and and there is no denying. I mean, as I said, I've read the book. It's it's so offensive, it's unbelievable. Mm. So so the book has caused offense, but not just to the Muslim community, all faiths, because it's offensive to all the faiths. Mm. And so when somebody has caused offense, what is the best method in how to handle this particular situation? And, you, you know, what would have been a better response than... The, the the so-called Muslims did
7: it's interesting that you started the the, the question with that I have read the book hmm. and I can guarantee you I think this is this is no secret anymore now that the majority of the people who are so offended by it who the majority of the people who are like you know up in arms I can guarantee you they have not read it
0: yeah
7: and and I, I think this is it's not a secret anymore. First of all, like in like in the 70s, when this came to the surface, and I think it's the same thing with with Charlie Hebdo and 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 the cartoons and all of the things that happened in the past. If it, and it wasn't that when the Ayatollah or, or when 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 the fatwa was issued that the book was just you know released. same mm. with with Charlie Hebdo, when when you look at it, they they had been doing this for like I don't know how long. Yeah, offending religious sentiments and offending people, right? It was it was the reaction of the Muslims. <laughs> it was the reaction of the world that actually brought it to the surface. Yeah, and I think we spoke about this in, in our show as well. That's that right. After after this this attack on 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 on, on that uh, author the sales of those book of that book has, has skyrocketed again.
0: Well it's it's so interesting you say that, because it's the Muslims who made him a millionaire. Because, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise nobody would have bought the book because he he had been public you know, extracts from his book had been published in, in Middle Eastern newspapers and nobody yeah. said a word. Exactly. And and you know it's it's uh, again the mainstream media kind of covered an Arshad, brother Urshad earlier kind of covered on this as well, that they were waiting for that that moment. And I'll never forget that moment on BBC, where a, a BBC journalist asks this cleric who was burning the book that, why are you burning this book? And he looked at the person standing next to him because and he said, because he told me that this is offensive.
7: Yeah. yeah.
0: And that kind of became the catchphrase that Muslims are burning a book like Nazis burnt books and yeah. they, and they don't know what's in the book
7: and this this is a problem isn't it yes. the lack of leadership the lack of education that's it, it it's uh, i have something similarly but similar uh, similar incident that i saw as well on on the news what i think it was after um the the cartoons that were published about the holy prophet peace and of the lobby upon him and i think this was somewhere in the middle east again I was a young boy um mm-hmm. when they were burning flags and i think the american embassy was was burned as well or, or at least damaged mm. and they asked this boy that what what are you doing what are you protesting what are you what are you trying to do and he said i have no idea i came along with my uncle there you go and and <laughs> this is this is basically the 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 teaching that you're imparting to the next generation as far as the reaction is concerned <clears throat> i mean if you had was it usher who that's
0: who's right the yes yeah because you I wrote mean, the book he,
7: he 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 wrote the book mm. this is the reaction that the 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 community and up to up till to, up till this day what his holiness also advocates even even up to this day is that if you have um someone writing a book what's your reaction
0: mm.
7: it should be the same you if he can write a book why why can we not
0: it should be a measured so, response
7: uh, a measured response exactly And that's in line with the teachings of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him That's in line with the teaching of the Holy Quran And this is something we have been doing since the time of the Prophet Messiah the founder of the Muslim community I mean, it's it's it's
0: Yes, I think just for the benefit of the listener you mentioned the Holy Prophet and I I asked earlier as well that even at the time The Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him When he was around Makkah and Medina and so many people so many people were used to abuse him and were violent towards him. He never, ever said, "Go and kill him."
7: No, and, and and I think this was the beauty of his character that attracted so many people to the religion of Islam. Yeah, when 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 they saw that this is not just a man who talks about forgiveness, who talks about peace, who talks about reconciliation. He actually preaches it and he lives it. I mean, uh, I remember uh, also when, when, when the Holy Prophet peace be upon him when he came home after his first one of the first revelations, and Hazrat Khadija, who was his first wife, I mean, Allah be pleased with her, when she spoke to him, and 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 he, she said to him that you are the one who who keeps up with the relations uh, with with blood with with ties of relationship. You are the one who opens up your house to the people, to a guest, and you keep up those traditions. You keep up those values that uh, that, that that people have forgotten, and that was his example. I mean, people came to him, and it was sometimes it was very blunt. Sometimes people would come to him and say, "This is something that you know they have." Said. I mean, it's a very famous example about this 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 quarrel between a Jew and and a Muslim,
3: mm-hmm.
7: and I said, you know, Moses is the superior, the the, that's what the Jews said, and, and, and the Muslim said, no, the Holy Prophet is superior. So This whole matter was brought in front of the, the Holy Prophet. In some narrations, you also find that, you know, the Muslims slapped the Jew. Anyway, long story short, the matter was brought before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he, he didn't say that, yes, yes, I am superior. Well, I mean, everybody knew, it wasn't a secret.
0: Well, he was the prophet, you know, he, prophet's of prophet. He,
7: exactly and he was the seal of the prophet hmm. and this is something that he, he he knew God almighty had told him but to keep the sentiments and to keep the peace of the society he didn't say to the Muslim hmm. yeah good job well done buddy yeah that's you know you you you'd know it he said don't give me preference over Moses because on the day of judgment I don't know if God will raise me first or, or Moses so don't don't do that that's something for God Almighty
0: and that's the best response that needs to be given and, be, yeah. and that's the response that we need to be learning from, that when, you know, in this day and age that Islam has been, I mean, me and you have spoken so extensively on drive time on this, that, you know, Islam is the, the kind of uh, become the, the target of the past decade or if, if yeah. not, you know, it's increasing even now, it's more camouflaged, it's, it's, it's hidden, but it's there. Um, and as muslims our response needs to be measured and it needs to be of exactly how the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him reacted when it must be it, there's
7: no it, other it has way to be I, that I, i'll i'll tell you one thing and this this has been i when i when i go online if you go on twitter hmm. specifically the, the need for leadership the need for education the need for in a messiah a prophet and imam of the age has never been more, more important yeah. more relevant and more important than it is now if i look at some of the comments that have been made when when that individual who, who attacked samar Marushdi, when he was brought in front of the judge and what he said and his behavior and i've i've gone through at least 200 comments hmm. and out of those 200 comments under this one picture I found, I think, one or two sane comments talking about that being not the response that a Muslim should have. The other 198, believe you me, were, were, were just hyping up the guy, were just praising him like he has done the most courageous act ever in the history of mankind. Which it is it
0: is, it is one of those times where Muslims are themselves giving ammunition, to yes, to mainstream yes. media to to so come I and say mean, come it, and attack it, us.
7: I think uh, is something what is holding it also says that it's always we need to look at both sides. We're not saying that Muslims and their actions, um, so called Muslims and their actions and their behavior, is is something that we we shouldn't look at. Of course, it it is in in. It's not in line with the teachings of of, of of Islam. It's not in line with the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which is giving ammunition to the people who, who already have anti-Islamic sentiments.
0: Imam Raza, as always, thank you so much for taking time out this morning and coming you. on to The Breakfast Show. Have a fantastic day, brother. Peace be with you. And, and you. Malaykum Aslam. Malaykum Islam. um Just to wrap up this topic with one line, without a shadow of a doubt... Um, I think all of our guests have made it fairly clear um, from an Ahmadiyya Muslim perspective, the attack on Salman Rushdie has and is condemned because it there, there is no place in Islam to act in this manner. Mm-hmm. The only way to respond to the book that was written by Salman Rushdie was to give a measured response which was done by the Ahmadi Muslim community and a book was written and we've spoken to the author of that book. We've spoken to we've we've listened to an audio from the time that book was written, and for the time when Salman Manushti attacked Islam and all the other faiths. And uh, we we heard uh, quite conclusively from the fourth caliph of the Amal Muslim community, Hazim Zatir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, of how you know he looked at he looked at this objectively from all angles, and uh, you know we, we you know <coughs> he comprehensively answered. All the critics and and all all relevant parts of uh, what uh, was being questioned in respect of Islam. You you're listening to the breakfast show with myself, uh, kayum brother Asim, and brother uh, Sharif. We are going to go on to our next. Uh, it's called a drive by. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was a drive by segment. Yeah, <laughs> there's going to be uh, uh, the next topic is. Uh, 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 happiness and it's going to be a drive-by happiness moment. So, um, Brother Sharif, define happiness. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, you're not allowed to have a moment. (laughs) Well, According I, I couldn't Oxford get Dictionary. I couldn't get the, 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 the relevant uh, you know the the drive by noise so that's the best I can do.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you drive an electric car, so yeah, you shouldn't have <laughs> <laughs> because you don't have that sound effect anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so in a quick way, what's happiness?
1: Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines happiness as the state of feeling or showing pleasure. So although we may think that happiness is a simple thing, it's not so simple, because there are so many different layers of happiness. It's very subjective to every individual and to the time and space they're in, mentally, physically, and spiritually. So um, considering that it's a very subjective um, element, Brother Kia, what what is happiness to you, and what does that mean?
0: See, me, to me, to me, I, I I keep it simple. I think happiness is a moment. I think people who look for for, for people who say, "Well, oh, I want to be happy all my life." You can't be. Happiness is a moment, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. which people carry with them, and 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 they kind of it's it's a support mechanism, um, and and uh, and cause... you know, it's it's like a, um, um, to me, happiness is a moment which will eventually lead to fulfillment and contentment Um, and i think that is that is and and to me happiness is a joke you know you gotta have a joke these people have this and you know i I did ask both of you for 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 your contribution uh, and so i'm gonna start off you know being the old dinosaur both of you gentlemen you know um, i'll i'll show you my age i'll uh, ask you a question what do you call a fish without an eye <laughs> that, see did you see that did you see that okay uh, my my uh, my next one what do you call b- a bear without ears Bee. oh ooh, ooh my last one what does alexander the great and winnie the pooh have in common they both have the same middle no. name
7: <laughs> yeah. The-
1: <laughs> so for my my moment today is going to be i just received a text from my wife okay and she said to me happiness is when you listen to your wife <laughs> to
0: i i will not respond on air <laughs> because i want to stay happy <laughs> <laughs> exactly i think i think i've taken my moment of happiness okay <laughs> Brother Asim.
2: Yeah, so I was actually searching for some jokes and
0: most Look, of them. Look see, see, the young generation. Sad. You young generation have to search, you know, for a joke. I'm man. really bad at jokes. Yeah, okay. What, what do you call a deer with no eyes? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, so, de- a deer with no eyes and no legs. Still no idea. <laughs> okay, Ali, I'll let you. I'll let you finish okay. off the this this quick drive-by segment on happiness. So,
2: why was the tomato red?
0: I don't know why was the tomato red. Because he saw the salad dressing. <laughs> <laughs> Sharif, what's you know moving moving swiftly on? Uh, I, I don't think I can top that up. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I said we should move on to the third. Segment. We should move on to the third subject. Uh, um, and what is that? Um, <laughs> Sharif, sure, what is what is the, the, the third segment? It's a very important one as well.
1: It is. It's, um, it's back to school. Yeah. Um, so summer is coming to an end. September is just a week away. Let's go ahead and with the back to school tips and advice, how to handle back to school blues for teachers and students. This would include covering such as starting a routine schedule again, going to bed earlier, and talking to children about their new school year. Possibly interview a teacher or parent um, to hear from each of their perspective. A second angle would be include the, how to handle the end of summer blues. One thing I'm gonna say is with the back to school, one group of people that's gonna be very happy it's happening are the parents who finally kinda, the summer holidays are over, they can give the kids back to the school and they can carry on with their daily routine now.
0: It's, it's, you know, today, um, the topic is relevant today, especially because today is when the results come out for GCSE. So, um, you know, a lot of youngsters are going to be out there um, waiting um, as to what is um, um, going to be a challenging day for a lot of people. And one hopes and prays that everybody gets um, the results that they worked so hard for. And we hope they're happy, right? Yes. That, oh, look, oh, look, Brother Asim has woken up. Brother Sharif, the younger generation <laughs> has eventually come up. <laughs> the, you know, um, we are talking about uh, um, um, the the, <coughs> the coming back to school, but I kind of wanted to um, just give a, a, a brief uh, um, summary of, from a happiness point of view, because even though it's a dry-by topic but uh, in the Holy Quran teaches us in chapter 13, verse 29, that true happiness and peace of mind comes from remembering God Almighty. So remembering Allah is, is making every decision and doing every action with the purpose of attaining God's pleasure. So if one looks at the beautiful way of life, and that's what Islam is, we, we always say it's a faith, it's a, it's a religion, it's a deen, deen means way of life. So every aspect of our life, has Islam in it um, from the second we open our eyes in the morning and and there's a prayer attached to that through thanking God for enabling us to be to to yeah. to, to to experience another day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on this beautiful earth that he has created for us and until the last second that we close our eyes and we go to sleep everything we do between those days but between that time is is uh, is continuously um, um, thanking God for, for, for uh, the, the blessings that he has granted us with. So that you know we, we've spoken so much on this by we, we always talk about seeking and giving God the right of, of, of God by praying to God and 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 to seek the pleasure of God the best way to seek the pleasure of God is by doing uh, 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 you know service, to his creation, which is um, serving mankind, and, and that's the best way of seeking the pleasure of God. And so, you know, we, we, in, in if you remember, we talked about uh, community spirit. We talked about neighbor being neighbors. We talked about helping each other. We're talking about uh, definitions of how friends they make each other happy. Hmm. Service, a smile is a service to make someone feel better if you to to every act you do every every step you take in life uh, if you do it because you are looking to seek the pleasure of God that is a simple way of putting of what Islam is all about mm. is it not uh, brother Sharif
1: I, I completely agree it's that act of benevolence without um, the reciprocity that's attached to it, it gives us an, a moment of peace and happiness that cannot be um, rivaled by any materialistic um, worldly um,
0: element. Yeah, but but even I mean, I'm I'm glad you use those words, materialistic, worldly, because even achievement and reward within the world it's you know it's it's always that notion that people always talk against wealth mm. islam says there's nothing wrong with wealth it's what you do with it mm. Mm. is 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 that, uh, that that should be questioned and so you know it's materialism god said if you've earned it live it but may, but don't forget the needy don't forget to serve the people And don't ever forget that that you have attained this position in life because of God Almighty.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And that's the key.
1: And it actually goes further than that. Um, I would say that Islam teaches us that by Allah rewarding us with materialistic things and us not using it is actually being um, disrespectful.
0: Yeah, it's a challenge in itself.
1: Yeah. Because Allah says um, you should live within your means And if Allah has blessed you with means to to be able to afford um, luxuries We should live within that And also spend in the way of Allah with those, with those means And now, not be
0: Sorry, uh, yeah, finish
1: No, I was going to say and not be um, I'm trying to think of the English word of conduce with it
0: Miserly, uh, miserly indeed,
1: Miserly yeah, don't be miserly with the wealth that Allah has um, has given you.
0: Now you talked about blessings, um, kind of it gave me a good, uh, you know, segue into what we were discussing, which is going back to school and education is one of those things. Education is one of those blessings. I always think when I look at the Western world, when people talk of a free education, and I wonder if these systems were went and taken to the third world countries, would how how quickly would those third world countries? turn into developed nations Mm. that we've got to a point in life that schools and education and and facilities and provisions are provided free yet we do not take advantage we do we should be having a hundred percent educated population but we don't and and that's why back to school and going back to school is so important and and brother Sharif earlier talked about um, you know the, what the gist of, of this story is that summer you know is 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 going to be September is going to be the the time how people and students and teachers and and, uh, um, and you know and staff uh, from schools who service students um, and the education system are going to be going back um, and what are the challenges that uh, a lot of uh, um, you know um, a lot of uh, these these people are going to be be be, uh, be be experiencing um and in the you know in the holy quran uh, you know it uh, the allah the exalted allah the exalted has said um keep up the supplication lord bestow on me an increase of knowledge which is something we have grown up with Rabizid the ilma absolutely is you know it is it is something i don't know of a muslim hmm. who does not not know this exactly yeah um you know, and I'm talking. You know, this is from the the youngest of of ages. That this is, uh, you know, the prayer that uh, you know asking God to increase your knowledge um, is something that we recite um, uh, on a, on a daily basis. It becomes part and parcel of of, of our breathing <laughs> on on a, on a on a daily basis. Um, we you know we uh, had uh, the opportunity to interview um, a number of uh, a couple of guests. Um, and uh, we uh, did a pre-record with uh, Catherine Strunk, who's a professor of education policy at Michigan State University. Um, and uh, we did this, uh, had this discussion. Um, so let's go and listen to what uh, Catherine Strunk had to say on this topic.
4: Right. So I'm delighted to say that I have on the line Catherine Strunk, who is a professor of education policy the Clifford E. Erickson Distinguished Chair in Education and the Faculty Director of the Michigan State University Education Policy Innovation Collaborative. Catherine's research examines teacher labor markets, school and district improvement and accountability policies and efforts to improve student achievement. So exactly the sort of expert that we need to speak to regarding this topic. Catherine, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for this pre-recording for The Breakfast Show and welcome to the Voice of Islam radio.
8: Thank you so much for having me.
4: And first of all, I'd, I'd like to ask you, I mean, you know, we know now that school, you know, parents and children alike are, 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 are contemplating the return, uh, the start of the school term and the return to school after the summer holidays. Some may be looking forward to it and, and some may not. And my really my first question for you is we know that the pandemic caused significant gaps in learning. And we know that some some. Uh, education institutions or even at government level uh, allowances were made in assessment in the assessment methodologies and assessment processes but essentially it's hard to dispute that there would have been a gap in learning that was caused by the pandemic how long will it take for that gap in learning to be removed
8: or how can it be addressed Mm -hmm. those are great questions so first you know, it depends on what's happened to date. So, how long it will take for the gap in learning to be removed really depends on what different states and districts have done to date. Mm-hmm. So, there has been one national study by the by NWEA. NWEA is a benchmark assessment provider, and they have students who take their tests in most states across the country. Um, and they have shown that, on average, it looks like. You know, kids started to rebound during the 21-2 school year, but not at all to the extent they would need to have, quote, caught up by the end of 2022 school year. Um, And they think it will take, you know, several more years at the rate of learning that we're seeing on these benchmark assessments for students to be back to where they sort of should have been in the absence of the pandemic. Uh, From different states, we're beginning to see their end-of-year assessments from last spring, 2022, rolling in. And it's pretty clear that there are some states that have done pretty well. So states that doubled down on recovery efforts last year are seeing pretty good rebounds already. So some kids in some grades are performing at or almost to 2019 levels, pre-pandemic levels. Although generally I would say that the trend is that students in the older grades are actually struggling to regain at the rates that the younger grades are able to do so. But then there are some states that haven't really been able to implement or haven't successfully implemented substantial acceleration strategies, and such as one-to-one tutoring or extra out-of-class time or summer school, and there we're seeing these kinds of partial gains in the last year that are nowhere needed, uh, what they needed to read out into the 2021 school year.
4: Right, okay, okay. It's really interesting you should say that. One of the other challenges that schools have got, I mean, we're talking about a whole lot of extra work that needs to be done to address this gap in learning, but what's also happening here in the, I mean, in the UK, and what it's like in the US, but we've got staff shortages. In, I mean, we've got staff shortages across the board, mm-hmm. but we've got staff shortages in schools. And I mean, I know anecdotally, just from the work that I do in my in my other life, that a lot of teachers here are finding, because of the pay, um, you know, what they consider relatively low pay, they're actually attracted and they're going and working overseas. Um, uh, where they can get higher salaries and they can get better quality of living. What is being done or what can be done to combat staff shortages? at such a critical time for schools.
8: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it is, you know, we're hearing from all the districts across this, across our country, and I'm sure it sounds like in the UK as well, that mm. staff shortages have been a real impediment to the ability to learn and accelerate learning in the post-pandemic timeframe. I think it's important to discuss what staff shortages really mean, though. So at least in the U.S., it's pretty clear that some states have worse shortages than others, and that within that, um, districts that are more rural or more urban are having a harder time attracting uh, teachers than sort of suburban, well-off districts, um, and that there are certain subjects, so things like special ed or STEM or English learners, those kinds of teachers are actually harder to find and harder to retain than sort of general elementary teachers. So, when we're thinking about what to do to combat staff shortages, the first question is to really define where the staff shortages are. You don't want a one size fits all policy when you're not having a hard time recruiting certain kinds of teachers, but you're having a very hard time with others. Um, so, some places are putting in financial incentives, either general across the board, if they're, they're really facing a, a broad shortage, um, or some. Um, are really focusing them on sort of special ed or STEM or ELL teachers. Some of these are pretty large in the U.S. We've seen some districts put in um, one-year retention bonuses of $15,000, which is quite a lot on a base salary of somewhere, you know, closer to 50 dollars or $60,000. Um, other districts are trying to renegotiate contracts to increase base salary so that all teachers are getting some kind of raise and it's going to be promised, not just a one-time bonus, but promised over time. Uh, Other places are relaxing standards for teachers or for certain kinds of teachers, so lowering certification requirements that teachers need to get into the classroom, allowing folks who are mid-career professionals elsewhere or veterans or long-term substitutes to teach in classrooms while they're earning their credentials. And then other places are experimenting with things like grow your own programs. So what we know across the board is that teachers prefer to work in places that are close to where they grew up and went to high school and college. And so what districts are trying to do is say, well, we would like to get a, a supply of teachers who is from our own community because they're more likely to stay. And so they're trying mm-hmm. to work with paraprofessionals or other adults or even high schoolers to help them want to become teachers in the district and return to those districts when, when they grow up and get the certifications. All of these are long-term fixes, right? So mm-hmm. we know that teachers value compensation. You just mentioned that. But they also prioritize things like working conditions and effective school leadership. Uh, Those are harder things to change. And I'll say um, across the globe, schooling has become increasingly political. And we're hearing a lot from teachers that as that's occurred and they sort of are so much more worried about what they're teaching in their classrooms and how parents and boards are going to react, that that has caused them to really reconsider whether teaching is a profession for them because their working conditions are so much less pleasant. Similarly, we see years and years of underfunding in many places across the world in terms of public education. And when that happens, you see you know, capital like buildings falling apart. Um, you see that they feel undervalued. And that's, again, harder to overcome. You have to get enough funding that's long enough term to be able to help improve those kinds of working conditions.
7: Mm,
4: well, that's really, it's really interesting you say that. I and mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've seen a lot of evidence here about teachers saying that jobs are becoming more, their jobs are becoming more stressful. So definitely the work-life balance yep. that you talk about that teachers look for is, 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 is certainly going to be key in terms of where they want to work.
8: No, absolutely. And I think part of that work-life balance is commute, and part of it yes. is
4: other things. And my next question um, is we've seen, and again, you know, I'm, I'm basing this on what we've seen in the U.K., um, and um, you'll have some insight in the US as well, that we saw that the pandemic led to um, inequalities in our society being exacerbated. We saw it in the health service, we saw it economically, and also in school, because uh, if you, if you were more fortunate, you're, you went to a better school, you went to a private school, you went to grammar school, um, or just that your school was a public school, but they were able to do more for the students to, uh, to cater for the students and support them in the pandemic. Um, that led to significant inequalities of opportunity. Now, the question really is to, you know, thinking, you know, you, you work a lot in, poli- in the policy area. To what extent have policies um, been put in place or are being put in place or, or the research that's being done to ensure that that doesn't happen and how quality of opportunity can be improved in education?
8: That's a great question, and it's, it's a hard one. And it's um, if we knew the answer, I think we'd all be running to do it. <laughs> one <laughs> of the things that we do know is that the literature from the 1980s and 90s that suggested that money maybe didn't matter that much for schooling is wrong. So it's been, become very clear in the last 10 years that the more money we spend in our public schools, the better off the students will do, both on their immediate test scores, but also their long-term outcomes, like employment and civic engagement. And so it's very important for us to think about increasing per-pupil funding, how much we spend on our students. And if we want to think about equality of opportunity, we want to think about weighting that student funding. And so we provide more money to districts and schools that are educating more low-income students or educating more students' with disabilities. So for instance, the state that I live in, Michigan, just put into place a pretty large per-pupil funding increase and did try to weight it for equity. other states and districts and countries are working to target interventions, so my, it's too expensive to provide maybe one-on-one tutoring or summer schooling for every student. They are targeting them towards the students who are the farthest behind academically, either before or as a result of the pandemic, or who are the lowest income and therefore don't have the same opportunities that their healthier peers do. So I think that the big case here that I'm trying to make is we need more for everybody, but we also need to differentiate what we 're doing so that we recognize that there are certain students who have been less well served by the systems and need to be prioritized as we implement policies to improve their
9: outcomes.
4: Excellent. Excellent. No, I really appreciate it. We don't have all of the answers right now, um, and I really appreciate your insight and finally, last question
9: um,
4: we I mentioned earlier that you know most places across the, most countries across the globe kids are getting ready to go back to school after a long summer break. Um, why is it important for, 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 for school pupils to get back into the routine of going to school? Why is that routine important?
8: Yeah, so if you look at any of the literature and you know, early student learning and psychology, what you know is that kids in particular need structure. And unfortunately, the last two-plus years have not had that kind of regular structure for students, neither, you know, inside their schools. Kids, you know, schools have taken the brunt of the pandemic in many ways. They've been closed first and opened last. So there hasn't been this sort of normal school structure for a long time and school schedule for a long time. And that has effects on the academics, obviously. You know, they weren't learning as much. Um, But it also has effects in other ways. So we've seen behavioral challenges spike in the last couple years. Teachers and principals are reporting that their students have greater you know, behavioral problems. They're getting into more fights. They're not used to being cooperative in the classroom. Kids weren't around other kids and adults much for the last, especially the first year of the pandemic, but even last year. And they weren't experiencing this normal structure that they need, these rules and norms. So they've, and they've dealt with a lot of trauma right during the same time. So what we need right now is for kids to get back into a pattern. We need them to go to school, to actually go to school every day, attend school in a normal way, feel the trust with their teammates and their schoolmates and their teachers and their school leaders, and sort of develop this routine again where they understand and they feel safe so that they can then learn. Uh, A lot of places are really prioritizing social-emotional learning in the classroom this year, trying to make sure that students do feel these connections, do remember what it looks like to sort of be part of a larger society. And I think that's going to be very important in terms of creating this routine and going to school as we want kids to then be able to go the next step and catch up on their learning.
4: Fantastic. Fantastic. It's been so useful. Uh, I'm sure it's been useful to our listeners, but it's been really insightful fascinating talking to you about this topic. I really appreciate your time uh, that you've taken to talk to us today and managing the time difference as well. Um, really appreciate it. We've been um, we'd be delighted to have you on again on the Voice of Islam radio at some point. I'd just like to thank you and, and, and just say peace be with you.
8: You as well. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: And that was uh, Professor Catherine Ostrunk, who is a Professor of Education Policy and by Courtesy Economics and the Clifford E. Erickson Distinguished Chair in Education and the Faculty Director of the Michigan State University uh, Education Policy Innovation Collaborative or known as EPIC. Um, As uh, you heard uh, brother early who was taking the interview, because of time difference, we had the opportunity to record um, an interview with her. And similarly to our next guest, who we had the opportunity um, to... um, um, to record an interview as well um, let's go listen to Kristen Rispoli who is an associate professor and the director of business psychology program at the same Michigan State University um, whose research interests include mental health promotion and children with or at risk for developmental disabilities including autism spectrum disorder she primarily focuses on intervention models designed to engage caregivers and service providers including teachers designing and implementing um implementing support uh, provided to children with developmental disabilities across multiple contexts. Let's go and listen to what Associate Professor Kristin Rispoli said um, on in her interview.
5: We have the pleasure of the company of Dr. Kristin Risperley. Uh, Dr. Risperley is an Associate Professor and Director of the School of Psychology Program at Michigan State University. Wonderful to have you with us. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, tell me, Uh, Dr. Rogers, what are some tips that you can tell us that will ease, that you would consider would ease your child's uh, back-to-school worries?
9: Yeah, thank you so much for having me um, and talking about this important topic. Um, I think, you know, one thing that's to keep in, you know, to keep in mind, it's important that normalizing for kids that change is hard, and it's okay if they're feeling worried about the new school year. Um, so parents can make that a really normal experience for them by saying things like, "Is there anything that's worrying you about the school year?" And also, you know, normalizing for kids that if they're not feeling worried, that's okay too. Some kids might just be excited for the new school year. So all feelings about a new school year are are okay. Um, something that parents can ask kids is what, what are you excited about and what has you worried about the school year and really just you know, try to empathize with their perspective and validate any feelings that um, kids might be having about what's coming ahead. Um, for parents, too, it's helpful to think about things like what might be different for my child this year at school. So is this a new school building that they're moving to? Are they getting a new teacher that no one's ever had before? And so they might be feeling a little bit nervous about who that person might be like. Um, are there new policies for processes like dropping off or being picked up or riding the bus? Um, You know, are there even new security procedures in place um, to address concerns with school safety? So just, you know, for parents, I think it's important that they're ready to help their child process what changes might be coming ahead for them this year and um, to be understanding about, you know, their child might have questions about why those changes are happening, and so providing those those answers in a straightforward way, and then assuring them that things might be different, but their school is making those changes because they want to make, you know, school a fun place to be that's safe for all kids.
5: Mm. Uh, would you say that the parents need to prompt the children to respond, or do you think that this is something that children would uh, uh, already mention if they are worried about going back to school. Are there any signs? Yeah. Are there signs for that?
9: Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, I don't think it's necessary for parents to ask their kids if they're worried about things that are, you know, about going back to school. I think it's it's really helpful, though, to have just general conversations, you know, to say things Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, the school year is coming up, and, you know, I'm wondering what you're thinking about the new school year, and that gives um, kids the opportunity to share their feelings whether they are just really excited and they want to share that excitement or if they're feeling nervous or worried about hmm. something.
5: Okay, no, that's, that's fine. I mean, what what are adjustments that can be made by schools to accommodate the fact that we lost a lot of uh, learning due to the pandemic? And what kind of adjustments do you think? Uh, should go as a of
9: that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that's one question that will be on the m- minds of many educators across the, you know, entire globe as we return to school this fall. Um, I think it's for for schools, it's important to think about how they can use the data that they already collect and any other data that could be useful to them to best understand the specifics about what skills or learning um, areas of need the students in their buildings may have and to really think about targeting their response around those areas of need. Um, certainly we have some research coming out that confirms that you know there were widespread issues with learning loss and concerns with social emotional functioning for kids, but it would be really hard for schools to address you know, all of those concerns at one time. So using data to make um, informed decisions about where support can be targeted, I think is a really helpful um, method of thinking about it. Um, I think it's important for schools too to think about not only academic or learning skills, but also those social-emotional skills that you know children also unfortunately lost um, time to develop in the school context in the, you know during the time when they weren't in that face-to-face learning um, setting. And so, thinking about how schools can support mental health difficulties or just you really build social-emotional skills is another important thing. Mm. Um, Something else I think schools should think about is their connections with families in the community, um, with other community organizations, and how they can leverage those connections to um, address student needs more holistically than just in the school building.
5: And uh, when it comes to um, going back to school and uh, uh, developmental disabilities, I think the technical term is neurodevelopmental disabilities. I mean, what challenges Mm -hmm. face people with those kind of conditions?
9: Yeah. And I think something that's important to consider is, you know, when we talk about neurodevelopmental disabilities, we're talking about a really diverse group of disorders. And even within those neurodevelopmental disorders, there's a lot of variability. So, you know, for many individuals, they may have kind of the same types of challenges that, you know, that, uh, children that do not have neurodevelopmental disabilities uh, face, and, and for others, they may have more specific or complex challenges. Um, it's also important to consider that individuals with neurodevelopmental disabilities have a great deal of race and many things that, um, you know, can be used to kind of support their functioning in the school setting but to kind of get into some specifics some challenges that individuals with neurodevelopmental disabilities may experience include things um, like the change in routine that comes with going back to school so at home you know it's oftentimes less structured summer is naturally a time when there's less um you know adherence to specific schedules for a lot of kids and returning to the school setting where there is a a typically a high amount of structure and a lot of expectations about how the day looks can be a challenge Um,
0: And that was uh, Professor Kristen um, giving us uh, um, her view on the subject of going back to school. We are coming up to the end of the hour. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, likened assemblies where knowledge is sought to gardens of paradise. However, he cautioned not to seek knowledge in order to feel superior to another or to use it for self-promotion and said that Allah eases the route to paradise for one who sets out to seek knowledge. Gentlemen, um, quick uh, farewells this morning. Fifteen seconds. Brother Sharif.
1: Jazakallah. Thank you very much for your time and for our listeners this morning. It was a great show.
0: Fantastic. Brother Asim. Yes, Jazakallah
2: for, um, for everyone basically who awesome. helped out in the script, everything, uh, of course to you Qum and Sharif as well
0: wonderful Um, Jazakallah thank you Um, thank you to all of our listeners thank you to to both of you gentlemen thank you to um, Barira Kanta Saleha uh, Waki and Halima and of course our producer Arif Khan thank you to all of you who are listening thank you to all of our guests for um, giving time um, to the breakfast show on two important topics Um, tomorrow brother Walid and brother Thakir will be back with two interesting topics um, and uh, uh, drive time will be back later on today at four o'clock. Um, please uh, forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us in your prayers. One hopes and prays that uh, that God assists um, all of us in, in all the challenging times that we have spoken about. Um, and uh, until we meet again, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.